everyone. I'm so glad that you are with us again. Uh, we consider you our online family. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us. And just to let you know, the beginning of February, we are moving everyone to an online platform where we can be together. It will be for our live moments, just like this right here. Now, if you're on Facebook Live right now, don't do anything. We're glad that you're with us. This will happen in February, thebridge.me slash live. It will allow us to be together as an online family. There are so many great tools that this one spot has available for all of us, and we just think the communication and community will be a lot better for all of us. So that's coming up beginning of February. We will keep you posted as we make that transition. But today, we continue the series FM 2022. If you weren't here last week or you missed last week's message, boy, I really want you to go back and listen to that. It's from the perspective of a guy by the name of Matthew. I'm going to be reading from his book that he wrote for us a little bit later on, but you don't want to miss from his perspective what it was like to follow Jesus. And today we're going to kind of give you a different perspective on what it means to follow Jesus. But before I do, I got a question for you. How many of you set New Year's goals every year? Not me, because it allows me to hit all of them. If I don't set any of them, then I can hit all of them. So just lower the bar down. If you do have some goals, that's awesome. I'm proud of you. I hope you reach every single one of them in a, in a time period that you never even imagined, right? You know, as a culture, especially in January, we love to set do goals. Here's what I want to do this year. I want to accomplish this this year. Um, I want to achieve this this year. Nothing wrong with do goals. I want to challenge you with something today, and maybe you can kind of implement that into your do goals this year. Instead of having do goals, what if we have who goals? And here's what I mean by that. This one question, who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? Not what do I want to do, but who do I want to become? Maybe, maybe, maybe I want to become a better parent who is more present with their children. Maybe I want to become a better friend who really loves at all times. Maybe I want to become a leader with greater vulnerability and humility to serve those who I lead. Maybe I want to be a better employee, that I can honor those above me a little bit better. Who do I want to become? Because I believe that question is more important to Jesus than our do goals that we have. I think he's much more interested in who we are becoming rather than what we are trying to accomplish. Now, this is so important because actions follow identity. What we do comes from who we really believe we are. Um, so an unhealthy identity will lead me to make unhealthy choices. Unhealthy choices will lead me to establish unhealthy habits. Unhealthy habits will reinforce an unhealthy identity. So we will continue each year to live in the cycle of not being who we want to become and not being who God wants us to be 
because we're focusing so much on the do. Does that make sense to you? I want to share a, just a quick story of mine. Uh, growing up, I was not the smartest kid in the group, okay? I was a B student at best. That's what that meant for me. If I made B, that was best for me. Um, I remember making a few C's. I remember telling my dad, um, he asked me what I made in geometry at the end of one semester, and I told him that it was a high B. It was actually a D. Um, me and my backside will never forget that moment, ever forget that moment. And I, that's just, that was just my world. Uh, and one of the reasons I think I was a C student at best with a few Bs is because I knew what I wanted to do in life. I was going to play basketball for the Boston Celtics. I mean, this was a no-brainer. Basketball was my life. Come on, I started on the varsity team as a freshman at 6A school. I started as a sophomore, started as a junior in high school uh, on the varsity team, uh, University of Georgia, roll tide, was actually... Uh, sent me a letter. So I had this whole thing planned out. Who cared about grades? I'm playing for, I'm playing with Larry Bird one day is what I'm going to do. Well, problem with that, we get a new coach and my senior year, I'm not playing at all. Oh, the, the, the thought, the feelings I was having about myself and then one of my buddies who I've played with my whole life told me that the coach told the team without me there, we need to learn how to play without Dean. Oh, I was like, what? This is what I do. I, I play ball. And it turned out where a few games into the season, I quit. So I had to call Larry Bird to tell him I wasn't <laughs> So I go on to college, and the pattern kind of continued somewhat. I made a few better grades in college. I figured out, wow, this might be my only door out of this place, so I might want to take advantage of it. But my senior year of college, I actually failed the English exam. Failed it. Not like came close, we're going to let you slide by. No, like you can't get your diploma until you go to summer school for English. That's kind of my life. So I'm going to be very vulnerable with you. I've always felt dumb. Always. I get my words mixed up. Uh, English teachers who listen to me talk, it, oh, I'm, I want to just apologize up front to them for things I might say, things I might not say. That's just been kind of my life. I've just never felt smart. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. But when I look back, it's because I felt rejection at different times. I just didn't pass the grade at different times. I just didn't make the cut at different times. And it makes a difference in how I viewed myself. I don't know if you have any experiences like that at all. In college, I read this verse in the Bible. It's in the book of Acts. I'll set it up for you real fast. Jesus has taught, he's lived, he's died, he's come back to life. He has now shown himself to his disciples and scripture says over 500 other people, by the way. I mean, he comes back from the worst possible way to die and he's buying people Starbucks. It changes a city is what it does. Well. A couple of his disciples, they now totally, truly believe that their rabbi, 
their savior is the savior of the world. And they start telling other people. In a matter of days, over 5,000 people had become a disciple of Jesus, thanks to these two guys in particular, Peter and, Peter and James, who were telling the world about him. And we pick up this verse to where they have been caught, they've been put in jail because they can't figure out what's going on. These religious leaders, the, the upper class, those who have it all, couldn't figure out what's going on. And here's what it says about them and the disciples. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. Now, I want to read the rest of the verse at the very end of the message. But when I read that verse in college, I went, unschooled, ordinary? There is hope for me. I mean, like, God can use me. And I had this feeling and these thoughts that, wow, they didn't even go to school. They were unschooled. They didn't have any superpowers. They were ordinary. Now, I was so wrong about the schooling part. Here's what I want to do. I want to take the next few moments and I want to walk you through the educational system that a Jewish little boy would have grown up in in his day. Now, I want you to hang with me. Some of you, you might be like, I don't even like history. Listen, this is so important and it will make a lot of sense at the very end of the message today. So hang with me. Now, before I do, I want to read to you what a Jewish historian of the first century actually said. He was not a Jesus follower that we know of at all, but boy, he wrote a lot about Jesus followers. But he also wrote a ton just about the Jewish way of life. His name was Josephus, and here's what he said about the Jewish education. Above all, more than anything else, above all, we pride ourselves on the education of our children and regard as the most essential task in life the observance of our laws and the pious practices which we have inherited. Josephus says more than anything else in our culture, it's teaching our boys, teaching our little girls the law, the Torah, God's word. It was handed to us by Moses. We want them to know it above anything else. That is central, and it was. From birth to age five, you heard the Torah over and over and over and over in your home. You go, what's the Torah? The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. As a little boy, as a little girl, you would also hear the stories that some of us share to our children. Uh, the story of Abraham, Noah, David slaying the giant, no different. We, they shared them over and over and over and over and over and over, partly because there was no Netflix. But that's a side story. It was important to them is what I'm saying. Now, this is also important. I want to read to you from another scholar, David Biven, who says this, teachers of the Torah, were the most esteemed, most respected in Jewish society. Don't miss this. The goal of every child was to become a sage or a rabbi, a recognized teacher of the Torah in society. Look at this last phrase. The competition was extreme. David says, boy, I'm just telling you, the center of everything was scripture, 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 scripture. Oh, and to become what every little boy wanted to become, which was a rabbi. The competition 
was extreme. So let me walk you through the educational system of a Jewish little boy, a Jewish little girl in the time of Christ. You'll see it on your screen there. The very first educational system block that was built on was Beth Sefer. It's called the house of the book is what it meant. From five to 10 years old, you studied the Torah and you began memorizing the first five books of the Bible. This would be for little boys and little girls. The comparison would be this in our world. It would be like making the little league team. Every little boy, every little girl was able to go to the first level of education, Beth Sefer, to be a part of the house of the book, to study the first five books of the Bible and begin memorizing it. Now, I want you to look at this pic. This is a picture of Capernaum. Um, the big saucer disc that you see was not there in the time of Jesus. That was added much later on because that's where Simon Peter lived. You can also see there houses or the structural houses that were there at the time around that big saucer disc that you see. People lived in tight quarters, tight community, because they were a community. But you can also see from this aerial view, you can see the synagogue. Now, the synagogue was built a couple of 100 years after the time of Christ. However, it is very similar to what would have existed. You can see this close up. The ancient ruins are the base of this synagogue as well. And this is where every little boy and every little girl from that town would go to study. By the way, this is where Matthew was discovered by Jesus. This is where Simon Peter, James, John, and Andrew were asked by Jesus to follow him. This is their home city, their hometown. More on that in just a moment. The second block of education, only if, so important, you were the best. Only if you were the best could you go to the second block of education. Everybody went to the first. Little girls no longer because now you are getting ready to be married at such a young age. You are getting ready to have children at such a young age. So little boys, only the best, could move to the second. And the second is this. You'll see it on the screen. Bet Talmud. Only the best. It meant the house of learning. This was from 10 years old to 13 years old. What would they do at this stage of life? They would memorize the rest of Scripture. <laughs> memorize the rest of Scripture. And they would learn to ask really good questions. This would be if you played baseball and you were part of a select team or you played basketball, you made a national select team as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, a 13-year-old. This is what you would do. And you don't miss this, by the way. Here it is. They would begin to memorize the rest of scriptures. <laughs> wow. I mean, you're talking about schooled. You're talking about educated. These little boys were incredibly educated in the Beth Talmud. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Do you remember reading a passage to where Mary actually lost Jesus? By the way, moms, I don't know how your year has gone in being a mom, but when you lose the Son of God, that's a pretty bad deal. So I'm guessing you're doing pretty good as a mom right now. But she literally, she lost Jesus, could not find him. Watch, watch this. I want to read to you what Scripture says about his age. In Luke chapter 2, verse 46, when he, Jesus, was 12 years old. Oh, interesting. 
When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them. And what was he doing at 12 years old? Asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and answers. He was one of the best. That was in the school, 10 to 13 years old. What did you learn? You learned the rest of the Old Testament by memory, and you learned to ask great questions. That's why when our kids come home from school, maybe the question is not, did you learn anything? Maybe the question is, did you ask good questions today? This is what they learned to do as a Jewish boy. Now, only the best of the best was able to move on to the next educational learning block. Only the best of the best would go on to Bet Midrash. It means the house of study. This was age 13, 14, and 15 years old. Only the best of the best. You would engage the text, understand how to teach them, understand them a little more, but you also learn how to debate. Debating was a part of learning. It was a part of the culture. Only the best of the best could actually learn how to debate. This would be equivalent to you made the Little League, you made the National Select Team. Oh, you're going to a D1 college to play ball? That is what we're talking about. Less than 2% play D1 ball. That would be this group of boys. The next learning block would be this, the Talmud. You are now becoming a disciple. Now, I want you to listen to me close. At 15 years old is when this began. Only the cream of the crop, the best of the best of the best of the best of the best, was able at 15 to step into this educational system. At 15 years old, you had memorized the first five books of the Bible. You began memorizing the Psalms, you began memorizing, you learned how to ask questions, and here's how it would work. You would take your resume to a rabbi that you respected, that you looked up to, present that rabbi your resume of everything you've learned, of everything you've accomplished. The rabbi then would grill you in an interview. Tell me about this in Leviticus. Tell me about how Leviticus matches up with Psalms. They could ask you question after question after question after question after question. Why? Because that rabbi is looking for a disciple who can follow them, take their place, and be just like them. The rabbi's name is at stake. The rabbi's legacy is hanging in balance. So after you would leave, another young disciple would come in and he would be grilled. He would be asked question after question after question. Only the best of the best of the best of the best when a rabbi thought this kid has it. This kid can do what I do. This kid can teach what I teach. This kid can follow me. That kid would then hear his resume put down and the rabbi would look at him and go, come follow me. And he knew I was accepted. I'm in a group. I'm in a tribe. I made it. This was the dream of every little boy, and I made it. It would be like the NBA draft pick or the MLB draft pick. I made it to the show. A rabbi wants me because of how great I am. And he gave me the words, come follow me. There are two more levels. I'm going to give you one right now. One is that you actually become a rabbi. This begins at age 30. This is why we know Jesus began his ministry 
at age 30. Other indicators, I'll share some with you next week. You don't want to miss that. But at age 30 is when a rabbi could begin his ministry. And he could begin taking disciples on himself to pass on what he knows, but more importantly, to find people who can do what he does. This is when the process of gaining authority began, and this would be like making the all-star team. You've played in the NBA, you've played in the MLB, and you are now on the all-star team. I wanna read something to you real fast from this author who said this. In our materialistic, entertainment-oriented culture, People look at business titans, sports heroes, and movie stars as people to be emulated. Our society honors those who possess beauty and wealth. But in Jesus' time and throughout the ages, the Jewish people believed that becoming a great scholar of the Scripture represented life's supreme achievement. In such a culture, it made sense that the Messiah would be the greatest of teachers. No wonder Jesus became a Jewish rabbi. I love it. He was a Jewish rabbi in a Jewish culture who had attained the status of becoming a rabbi. Now here's the question. Who's gonna give them his, their resumes so that they would hear the words, come and follow me? I mean, so many are lined up, so many kids, so many young boys have come through the process, the best of the best of the best of the best of the best, and yet we don't find kids choosing Jesus to follow. We find just the opposite. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, remember? I chose you. Jesus was on a different mission looking for different people. I wanna read again from Matthew, his choosing of some individuals. It says this in Matthew chapter four, verse 18. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Question, why were they fishing? Because they didn't make the cut. They weren't the best of the best of the best. See, if a rabbi looked at you in your interview and you didn't have what it took, he would say, I want you to go take up your father's trade. I want you to join your father in his business. If you keep reading, the very next passage says this about other followers. It says this, as he went on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending the nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. See, when you just read it without understanding the context, it's like, what a bunch of losers. I mean, it's like, see you, Dad. We're gone with the guy in sandals. You know, the long hair and the right. I mean, we're with him. But when you understand, why did they go back to their father? They didn't make the cut. They weren't special anybody's. They were just a somebody. They had been rejected. You didn't make it to the next level of education. It's not that you're unschooled in that you don't know the scripture. It's that you don't have what it takes to follow a rabbi because you could never become what I am. 
And yet Jesus stops and says to these who just weren't good enough, I want you, come follow me. And their dream came true. You know what this, this story right here tells me is this. Jesus believes in you when others don't. Jesus believes in you when you don't even believe in yourself. Come on, don't you have anxieties? Don't you have insecurities that create anxiety? I do. The places where I just feel like I'm just no good. I, just, I can't do that. I just can't do that. My feelings of I can't do that are not a problem for this rabbi because he can. My insecurities that can create unhealthy choices, unhealthy habits, for me to believe an unhealthy identity about myself is not a problem for him. This is exactly who he's looking for. In this culture, for those who have felt rejected, from this culture who just didn't make the cut, who weren't smart enough, that's exactly who he looks for. Why? Because he believes in you more than you believe in you. Come on. And when somebody like that believes in you, doesn't it do something? Doesn't it give you courage? Doesn't it give you a self-esteem to go, I really am valuable. This rabbi would say, absolutely, you're valuable. And I want you. I want you in my group when no one else would take you. I'm choosing you. And here's the invitation. Come follow me. I want you to be like me. See, this was so important. So important. The goal of a disciple was not to know what a rabbi knew. The goal of the disciple was to be who the rabbi was. So much so that there was a phrase that was adopted throughout the ages. As a disciple, I wanted to be so close to the rabbi, my rabbi, that I could do what he would do. And the phrase that came up was, in the dust of the rabbi, be covered in the dust of the rabbi that I would follow literally in that day, if my rabbi went to the restroom, I'm going right behind him in the restroom. Because if he says some prayer of blessing somehow, I want to memorize what the prayer of blessing is and understand why he did it. So as a rabbi would travel, he would say, keep following me, keep following me, stay as close as you can. Don't miss what I'm saying because I want you to be able to do what I'm doing. This is why on the boat, Simon Peter, if you remember the story, Jesus walking on water, Simon Peter said, Rabbi, if it's you, tell me to come because I can do what you do. And Jesus said, come on, come on. It's not about knowing as a disciple. It's about being who our rabbi is. Simon Peter walks on the water. He looks around, gets scared. And what did Jesus say? Why did you doubt? What Question, who was Simon Peter doubting in? Not Jesus. He's perfectly fine. <laughs> He's still on top of the water. He's good. Simon Peter doubted himself. He got scared with his own insecurities, with his own frailties, what he couldn't do. And Jesus said, why did you doubt you, Simon Peter? Because I did it. It's not about knowing what our rabbi knows. It's about doing what our rabbi does and being who our rabbi is. Now, now, I, I just got to tell you, there, there are some, some phrases and, and um, labels, if you will, for a rabbi. And it would go a couple of ways. You see this on your screen. Rabbi could mean my teacher or my master. 
It could be my rabbi or my Lord. You can see the differences between the two, but all meant rabbi, but there's subtle differences in the titles and it showed something. Let me illustrate. Do you remember the, the, the night of the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples? He knew what was gonna happen. He knew everything that would take place. So he's having this last meal that he loved being with him one more time, right? And then he kind of stops the, the dinner time and he drops this bomb on the conversation and they're all shocked at what he says. But if you read closely, you discover something. I wanna read it to you, it says this. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12, his 12 disciples. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. That's a conversation stopper right there. <laughs> what do you mean? For three years, you've been our rabbi. For three years, we've walked in your dust. For three years, we have partnered with you on doing these incredible miracles, the feeding. We've watched you do miracles. We want to know how. What do you mean one of us will betray you? Keep reading. Verse 22. They were very sad and began to ask him, don't miss this, one after the other. Surely not I, Lord. <laughs> it goes around the table one by one. Surely not I, Lord. Not I, Lord, not I, Lord, not I, Lord, not I, Lord. Verse 25, then Judas, the one who would betray him said, surely not I, Rabbi. See the difference? Judas was learning, but he never submitted. Judas got the knowledge. He never got the life change. He never got in the dust of being his disciple. He never said, at all cost, I'll follow you, Lord. Teacher, of course. Rabbi, absolutely. But what I've seen in you, what you've done in me, what you've done around me, I'm gonna call you Lord because I believe, I believe you believe in me. You see the difference, see the difference so this year, it's not about do, it's about who. Who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? This is why Jesus would say phrases like, so why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? See, the doing comes after the whoing, if I can. Jesus would go, call me Lord, Lord, that's who I am, and then do what I say, and you will experience life. This is what the scriptures talk about over and over and over. And there's something about being unschooled, but not dumb, ordinary, plain, not making the cut. But the opportunity when we say yes to him, something crazy happens. Can I, can I finish the verse that we started with, by the way? Here's how it ends. Acts. Chapter four, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Not that they knew everything, they'd just been with him. Not that they were the most talented, they'd just walked right behind him. 
Not that they were able to speak in eloquent words and they were great communicators. No, no, no. They had just walked in the dust of their rabbi for three years. And because of it, the world was astonished at what they said and what they did and who they were. I'm telling you, Jesus believes in you more than you believe in you. I believe Jesus believes in me more than I believe in me. That's why this journey of following him is exactly what he said. I hope you caught it. It says this, he said to them, follow me and I will make. You follow, I make. You follow, I make. Let's not get those changed up to where I will make myself, then I'll follow. Jesus goes, it doesn't work that way. You follow and I will make you into who I want you to be and I will make you into who you really are. You are special, you are unique, and when you follow me, you can do what I do and you will see people astonished because you have been with me and their life change will happen because your life change has happened because of me. I wanna pray with you before we end today. Jesus, thank you so much for believing in us. Such a powerful, powerful truth today when we understand the context, understand the culture, and you're not looking for the best of the best of the best of the best. You're looking for people who just wanna follow you. And God, that means it's the rest of us. It's those who didn't make the cut, those who've been rejected, those who've been turned away, those with insecurities, those with hangups, those with just issues that we have, maybe physically, maybe mentally, maybe emotionally, and we think no one would ever want us and we could never be used. We are the perfect candidate for you. God, thank you for believing in us in that. You know, you just know that when we follow you, you make us into exactly who you want us to be. God, that is the greatest who we could ever be is exactly who you want us to be. God, thank you for speaking to us from your word today. As this year, we want to follow you wherever the road may lead. In your name we pray, amen.